Welcome to Supply Chain Radio. My name is Greg Kiefer, and today I've got special guest, Mr. John Atherton. John, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, hey. Thanks. It's good to be back. I love having you on the show because in your role as a head of supply chain consulting, you tend to get out into the field with lots of very, very large companies to consult and work with them on innovation in their supply chains. And I thought we'd talk a little bit today about the whole relationship between a buyer and a seller, you know, enterprises and their partners, their suppliers in the direct supply chain that relates to the goods that they sell, you know, the shoes that Nike sells or the cars that GM sells. It's a delicate balance between buyer and seller and direct. And if you think about it, companies have been global for a lot of years, maybe decades in some cases. And I have to believe that when they started, it was probably lots of emailing and faxing and phone calls, paper or electronic documents. It probably morphed into online portals 10, 15 years ago. I think it's gotten to a different place today. Yeah, I think your description around the evolution is accurate from paper-based faxes initially to electronic emails. That was a big innovation. To these kind of central web-based portals where you fill out a web form. It kind of looked like a piece of paper, but it was on the browser. To a much more sophisticated exchange of data, referred to sometimes as EDI, But even better, which is not just a record of that EDI object passing back and forth between a buyer and a seller, but the conversation that goes on around it. And that's true for all parts of the supply chain, but is especially important around the relationship between an enterprise and their hundreds or thousands of suppliers around the world. When you think of the direct supply chain, generally speaking, these suppliers are pretty extended and global. There's multiple tiers, and it's pretty complex and hasn't really been solved. Yeah, in the indirect supply chain, if you're going to buy pencils or kind of a commodity-based thing off of a catalog, there are lots of companies that can fulfill that need. Unlike that, in the discrete or process manufacturing world where the product that you're making is specialized and unique, companies have to extend their reach out to niche suppliers for specific parts or ingredients, and oftentimes those companies are half a world away. There's a partnership dimension to that relationship that has to permeate through the process and the collaboration as you go from an order to a manufactured product. That's what I'm seeing. And that's what my prospects and customers are saying to me. These customers say that it's short-sighted to think of their suppliers as merely vendors looking for the low-cost vendor, the one that can get it to me the cheapest. Instead, they're saying a more robust strategy is to think of them as partners, right? They're partners in a network that together are going to create products that win in the market. And an enterprise these days, and best practices, realizing they can't do it alone. Is it true that when these companies, these partners, are manufacturing goods, there's a heavy component on the logistics aspect, other areas that other parties in the supply chain need to be aware of? Do these new innovations and the way these companies collaborate help that side of the equation? It can. I think one good example of that is when a buyer or an enterprise exchanges or shares a forecast or some type of schedule with a supplier, routinely those are the only two parties that have seen that data over the past, say, five or 10 years. And unlike that today, leading edge companies are now bringing in other relevant parties who would benefit from knowing that information as well. And a classic example would be a logistics provider who could then do some better planning around assets and labor when those products eventually come off the manufacturing line and are ready to ship across the border. Another example would be a bank. Insight into upcoming orders, what type of cash or lines of credit might they have to provide to the parties is another good example of that multi-party collaboration. This goes beyond going back to our original concept of sending things from point A to point B, right? There's a different technological dimension in terms of where it's headed. 
From a technical perspective, what I've seen is customers moving away from in that model, if you had six parties in a transaction, you know, sending each of the parties a copy of the forecast or the order is cumbersome, easily gets out of sync, and often leads to those parties being not on the same page, if you will. And so a much more efficient approach is to put a data object in a central repository or technology platform and then let the parties collaborate off the same object and its various versions over time. Right. And then once it's in the middle of a network like that, of course, you've got a good record of performance, which helps in a lot of different areas. Yeah, there's a whole multitude of use cases that stem from that central idea of shared information. Is there a dimension where you connect the manufacturing, the collaboration process between an enterprise and suppliers to, say, the planning process, which there have been significant investments made over the past several decades? Yeah, if you're talking about supply chain planning, there are lots of excellent IT systems that are very good at planning. They have advanced algorithms and all sorts of data that they use to create these hypothetical situations. Oftentimes, those are designed to be used inside the four walls by supply chain planners at these enterprises. And where those systems fall down is how you actually exchange that data with hundreds or thousands of suppliers in all corners of the globe and get their part of the conversation tracked and online in one place. And so that's where oftentimes these systems of planning get connected with systems of execution. Where do you see it going from here? Is there a path that you see companies going on as they become more innovative and more agile? I think there are a couple dimensions. One is just unlocking more value in the supply chain between these parties. One easy example I always carry around in my mind is this concept of day sales outstanding. So if you're a seller, you want to get paid as soon as possible. You want your day sales outstanding or DSO as measured in days to be low. Now, on the reverse side, on the buyer side, days payable outstanding or DPO, you want to pay the guy as late as he can. You want the number of days to be very high. And so, of course, these are contradictory forces, but value can be unlocked in this equation and becomes a win-win for all when the transactions between those two parties are held in a central place and then shared with other parties, such as banks and financial institutions that will inject capital and liquidity into that equation. So a supplier's DSO and a buyer's DPO can be optimized without hurting each other's balance sheets. That's one good example of collaboration. This is an example where you take on a supplier collaboration initiative and suddenly that takes you into supply chain finance and procure to pay initiatives. Yeah, these things are all intertwined. It's not just about the cost of the bolt and the unit cost to get it from Shanghai to St. Louis, because there's hundreds of thousands of bolts we're talking about, and the amount of direct material sourced is in the hundreds and millions and billions of dollars. So that adds up. And so small, innovative improvements in supply chain finance can unlock millions of dollars for those that are involved in the equation. Is there a dimension of reliability and supply assurance that comes into play here? That's the other thing. It's not just about an enterprise making judgment calls or running metrics on their supply pace against physical performance, meaning quality of the goods that they produce, on-time shipping. It's also about the quality of information delivered, insight into the status of a forecast, where the products are during the production run. This is often referred to as work in process. And so I see enterprises also launching a whole set of metrics just around the information flow as it relates to the supply chain. 
And I got to believe that if you start capturing this information and there's some really, really juicy analytics that come out of it. Yeah, very insightful and robust. And then you kind of marry those up with other large data sets and you kind of get into much more advanced approaches to determining hypothetical outcomes based on reality. And that's a big area. And it's not just into the supply network. You apply that also to the demand side and that becomes a very lucrative area for unlocking value. Right. And this is very futuristic sounding and most companies aren't there yet, but you're seeing this happening today in the field. Yes, for sure. There are companies that are leading in this specific area in the respective industries and micro verticals that are taking steps down this path already. Some have accomplished some of the things we've talked about today, Greg, through manual means and others are doing it with automated approaches, which of course become much more scalable and flexible over time. So yeah, it's happening out there. If there are enterprises that are listening today that haven't kind of tapped into this art of possible, you should research it. It's happening right now. Wow. Cool stuff. Well, thanks a lot for coming in, John. Thanks for having me. This is Supply Chain Radio. We are signing off. Mm-hmm.